Thank you for joining us, everybody. You're tuned in to the Jam Frequency Radio Show. This is John DiMaria. And Desi does. Each episode here at the Jam Frequency Radio Show, the artists will take us to a new frequency of musical energy, the full spectrum from up-and-coming artists as well as living legends. We get to know their stories on how they create music and what makes them unique as artists. The Jam Frequency Radio Show. Where words and music kaleidoscope. Welcome to the Jam Frequency Radio Show. This episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with Alex Jordan, who recently, earlier this year, had a solo album debut. Alex is a great singer, songwriter, and guitar player, and keyboard player. And what a great singer. Sang opera in college. How awesome is that? We're going to find out more about him, but let's get started on his latest release. Let's do the title track, shall we? Yes. Subtle Exhibitionist is the name of the album. The track we're going to play for you is Subtle Exhibition. In the summer I was 14 You could find me splitting wood Getting into mischief the way any young man should Sitting around the campfire Singing about the man San Francisco Got lost in L.A. Dug into that desert soil And found another way Had my share of heartache Had my fill of joy Had my share of growing up And forgetting to be a boy Are you sad or are you lonely Or somewhere in between It's not I need to label It's just I'd like to know What to look for When your subtle exhibition starts to show So I got my wheels rolling And went looking for my place Northbound on the interstate To keep pace in the race There's folks who wanna own me Style. Folks I know who wish I'd up and vanish for a while Are you mad or strong and silent or not too fond of talk Quick to make your final stand where other folks would walk It's not I need to label, it's just I'd like to know Says she sees me right And I'll admit I've seen her In that settled kind of light Barbecues on Sundays And football on TV If it's all the same to you Just you be you Starts to show If I played upon your heartstrings Thrust my fist into the air Sang an affirmation And proclaimed I do declare Would you look at me and label Saying need to know What to look for When my subtle exhibition Starts to show Would you look at me and label 
Thank you. Awesome. Hey, everybody. How you doing tonight? Yeah, I'm going to use a little New York accent. I get doing it. Yeah, yeah. I may not understand you. I know. But I'm from upstate New York. We don't talk like that, really, so it's okay. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in tonight for the June Lake Jam Fest pre-party number six. We number six. So good. My name is John DiMaria. And I'm Desi Daz, and we're local DJs here in the Eastern Sierra for KMMT 106.5 and KRHV 93.3 and worldwide streams for both of those stations. And we are really excited to be here with you all tonight. We also have a podcast called The Jam, Jam Frequency, Frequency Radio, Radio Show. Show. What a special treat to be here tonight at the T-Bar Social Club in beautiful June Lake. How about that? We get to be in the backyard, literally around the corner from Gull Lake Park, our home stage at the June Lake Jam Fest. It's so good. It's an honor to be here tonight. We're so happy to have Alex and his sidekick here with us tonight. And all of our audience out there viewing Facebook live stream. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you. We do need to give a big thank you to all that made this pre-party possible. Of course, Janet Hunt, that we so lovingly call the visionary, visionary. of the June Lake Jam Fest, of course. Who yeah. else do we have to thank? Jamie Schmeckman and the T-Bar Social Club and their crew here, as well as DJE Productions from down south and those amazing guys that are making this happen for us. Thank you, guys. Yeah, Teddy T and crew, you guys are ridiculously awesome. We can't say thank you enough. For no, real. no, big uh, thank you. All right, but now to the show, our main event. Uh, tonight, we had the pleasure of speaking with Alex Jordan. Dude, Alex, it's been a while. It's so good to see you. you. Formerly of Midnight North, as a talented guitarist and vocalist, of course, you're an exceptional guitar player, and you're singing just the right blend. You know, so good. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But you also honed your Hammond skills and your piano skills with them as well, and they've just really gotten to the next level. And if you didn't know, Midnight North are actually Jam Fest alumni. They played the June Lake Jam Fest too. And Alex also offered his skills and talents at the June Lake Jam Fest 3, sitting in with John's band, Strawberry Moon, yeah. Cubensis, and a lot of others. Absolutely. Now, we're going to talk a, about that, that Jam Lake. Jam, uh, jam Lake. The June Lake Jam <laughs> It really, is a jam and lake it, when June Lake Jam Fest uh, is happening. It's going. And it's, yeah, <laughs> how, it's many, how many words can we put? I'm just going to speak last today. Uh, Alex has recently gone solo, including an album release uh, just this past May. The Subtle X. Exhibitionist. We're going to find out about that. The original songs in the album are an eclectic mix of genres. I like your choices on the, on the record for sure. And we're going to talk about the album later. Cool. Thank you. Yep. Most definitely. So good evening to you, Alex, and to your sidekick here. I keep forgetting your name, so I'm going to just call you sidekick. It's, it's 
it's Robin. Matt the sidekick. Yes. Matt the sidekick. Yeah, well, this is Matt Descala. Yeah, Matt, Matt Descala. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, Descala. we're just going to call you Robin. Yeah, you're the sidekick, Robin. right? Does that uh, make me Batman? Ooh. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, My nephew will be thrilled. Oh, very nice. Uh, all right, so let's start from the beginning for those who may not know you. How did you get into music? What was the first inspiration in your life to make you say, let's talk when you were small? When did music did it hit all begin? you? Uh, right. My dad was a music teacher, so I was always kind of exposed to it. My earliest memory at all is of stage shows of the high school that he taught at doing productions. I kind of vaguely remember a production they did of Annie, and then I really specifically remember a production of Fiddler on the Roof. Remember the music and the, the costumes and the whole, the whole look of it. And I think from that point on, a lot of memories I have are associated with music. And I didn't know that I was going to go into it yet. I didn't know that that was going to be a thing for my life, but I do remember that being very much how I marked time. Spring, it's the musical. Oh, here's the concert. You know, here's this. Yeah. And we would go to the bridge school benefit and stuff like that. I guess that was in October. I just have a lot of memories of that kind of stuff of when I was a kid. And as time went on hearing stuff on the radio, I started to gravitate towards like the classical station, the jazz station, and the classic rock station and just yeah. really listen and remember. So many of my memories are associated with songs from whatever that time period is. So. Right. So did your dad put your first instrument in your hand or did you get to make the decision of what your first instrument was or how did that happen? I'm not sure. I think the first thing that I played with any amount of regularity was a harmonica. I think that was a gift. My dad or someone from a birthday or Christmas or whatever. Stocking stuffer. Right, exactly. <laughs> Gave me a harmonica. Yeah. Like, I wasn't any good, you know, but I was young. I was, you know, somewhere between six and ten, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was the first thing I remember playing. But after that, most instruments I played were like a choice. I would say, oh, can I play this? And it's like, yeah, sure, we can do that. As I got older, it kind of got to the point where if I hadn't mind to play something, I would mention it to my dad or ask about it. He could bring one home from school or we could find one that was that was inexpensive to start on. It was all very practical. Right. I don't think at any point it was forced on me. I think it was all very... um very Natural. much. Yeah, I kind of had an idea. And in, until I settled on, the, on guitar, I, and just before that trombone, I just kind of bounced around. So your dad, you said the musicals. Did he also have a live orchestra kind of thing, too? Yeah, he had Back a, in the a day, they band, used to, huh? Yeah. And now they do right. the, the tracks. For the shows, yeah, absolutely. No, they never did tracks. It was wow. always a live, live orchestra. And, and Matt and I were actually really? in the pit orchestra for a show oh. they did at the high school a couple years ago. Oh, fun. They did the wedding singer, and they needed three guitars, so we were two of them. Oh, fun. <laughs> <laughs> cool. That so the really cool. first instrument was the harmonica, but you played many instruments as a kid. You were like right. ukulele and, yeah, I don't know. He had you? easy access to any instrument right. he wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the ukulele was in the closet. It was, it was great-grandpa's. Okay. And I, my dad would bring it out on occasion, but I, I do think that there was a certain point where I just, it was out, so I just started checking it out. And that was easier than the guitar, certainly. I actually didn't even have it in mind to play guitar yet. It was just something I was, I liked the ukulele. And the songbook that was in there with it was like an old 40s era songbook because it was my great grandpa's. And uh, so I, all these tunes were big band tunes and swing tunes. So I'm learning, you know, Chattanooga Choo Choo and, you know, things like that. People wow. call rag and stuff yeah. like that. That got me into jazz. So like as I was goofing around with the ukulele, I was also getting into jazz band because I really liked swing. I really wow. liked big band. It was, it was a really cool thing. Well, I can tell from your melody choices on your album, they have a great melody sense. And I think that era that you're talking about, really, they wrote great melodies. Oh, it's the best. They, you know, they weren't just the one note and, you know, skip around or oh, jump around right. stuff. And then on your album, you really are able to demonstrate that ease with melody. And I think oh, I, I appreciate great that. Transition. But what I want to know, staying back in that, sure. in that time frame of your life, <laughs> you were influenced by things. And you said Fiddler on the Roof and Annie. Do you find that the musicals were a big influence on your music appreciation from a young age? Or was it more, like you said, you listened to some rock and roll too. But where were your influences from the very beginning that you said, music is so cool? Probably the first thing was musical theater. Yeah. I mean, even through high school, most of the singing I did was musical theater stuff. You yeah. know, it was, I didn't front a rock band or anything like that until I was a senior. Even the classic rock and stuff I heard on the radio, that didn't resonate with me as much as the musical stuff. And I actually, I had terrible stage fright as a kid. So the idea of getting in front of an ensemble or getting in front of an audience and doing something solo was horribly intimidating. I kind of had it in mind that I would love to be on the technical crew or love to be on, in the pit orchestra. But I think what it was is I liked being around it and I hadn't figured out how to overcome this kind of morbid fear of, of you know, staring an audience down. <laughs> Very nice. Cool. So in high school, you had a band or? Yeah, at the very end of high school, yeah. Okay, okay. And then when that started, did you pursue having a band or you went to Cal State Long Beach and was music 
your... Yeah, it became, very quickly, it became my thing. I was in symphonic band and in jazz band and in choir in high school, but I didn't really do any rock and roll until I was a senior. There was a show junior year I was in. I was not a leading person. I was pantomiming guitar playing on electric guitar. And uh, it was for Bye Bye Birdie and the song, the song Honestly Sincere. You know, yeah. he's got kind of an Elvis thing. I had to learn like five chords for the intro of the song because mm. that was supposed to be live. And so I would, you know, strum these five, like, you know, 10 seconds between each chord to figure <laughs> yeah. out how to do it. So I had the guitar and I did that for the show. And then I actually, I got in a car wreck on a Sunday and then by Thursday ended up getting in a fist fight. And it was not my favorite week of high school. um, I got suspended, which was the best thing that ever happened because I had had this guitar and I had three days off. Nice. And that was really it. I couldn't help but pick the thing up and play it. And all of a sudden, all of my stress about everything that had been going on between the car wreck and the show, and it was my junior year of high school, which is a stressful time, while I was playing anyway, wasn't important anymore. Right. Nothing I had ever done was that powerful. Wow. The guitar kind of won in terms of how I wanted to pursue things going forward. So I started a band that fall and did that all through my senior year and then kind of kept that going with a couple different bands on and off throughout the year mm-hmm. when I went into college. Had it in mind, it's like, once I'm done with college, I want to give this rock and roll thing a try. For sure. And during college, probably your influences might have changed, not sure. having, <laughs> having that high school experience anymore. Can you share with us some of your influences during that time? Who sure. Was influential? Yeah, college was wild because I was a classical music major. I was ah. classical voice. That was my first exposure to, first kind of in-depth exposure to a lot of classical music, mm-hmm. which was really cool. And when you're in school, you have to, for that kind of thing, you really have to put your energy toward it. I ended up shifting my major from performance to music education. As a result, you know, you've got wind class. You have to learn how to play reed instruments and and flute and brass class, percussion. And that's on top of all your various music history courses, musicology courses. And I had to take, you know, pedagogy and in addition to taking choir every year and doing a bunch of other stuff. It was a lot. That was amazing because you can't, outside of college, unless you really become a professional classical musician, there isn't really a place for you to do that. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the environment. So to sit there and sing three major classical works in a year, four, and then also be in the chorus for an opera and do that all school year wow. and then take the summer and, and plug the guitar into the twin reverb and go from there. And it was a really cool period because I was all rock and roll for all summer yeah. and all classical music all school year until I turned 21 and could start to go to clubs. That's when the rock and roll thing really just became the main thing because I started going to see Cubensis and I met a lot of the people that are in the room tonight through that over the years. And that changed a lot. <laughs> For sure. sure. Now, when you started with Cubensis, you went and saw them, but you're a technical, technically minded person. I mean, and everyone who knows you personally will say, you know, it's, Alex can take this apart and put it back together again. A lot of that, you know, that w- same line of thinking comes from singing classical music, too. It's so complicated. Right. And reading those notes and having to execute it perfectly takes, of that. That's great. takes a discipline <laughs> for sure in a big way. So it's a similar mindset. But you became the roadie for Cubensis. Right. Uh, how did that come about? Oh. And what was that experience like? Craig, if you're watching, I'm sorry if I was annoying. Um, <laughs> oh, good. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was. I, you yeah. know, Craig Marshall is one of the nicest people I've ever met. He'll chat with literally anybody. Over the years, I've watched him have like a 30-minute conversation with someone as if they're old friends, and he'll walk away, and I'll go, who is that? And he goes, I have no idea. Yes. <laughs> he was saying the strangest stuff, but he just talked to him anyway. With that, yeah. So I don't know if that's how he felt when we met, but I was at the very first Cubensis show I went, and I thought he was wonderful. Yes. And I started chatting with him at the set break. He didn't budge. He just sat there and had a conversation with me the whole time. We ended up chatting a bunch over the next few months about music and gear and just, you know, Grateful Dead stuff. And I had some gear that he had wanted to check out. And so I started bringing it to the shows. And so I would bring it. And what time should I get there? Uh, Get there early. Get there at whatever. I don't know, (laughs) 7 o'clock, whatever it was. And so I would start to get there during load-in and put stuff on the stage. And then as a result, take it off the stage at the end of the night. And that changed to me putting his stuff up and then also putting Nate's stuff up right. and, uh, and then taking that down, which then, you know, helping Steve Harris load the drums in, helping Ed load the drums in because he shows up five minutes before start time. And, right. and uh, you know, all this stuff. And love eventually, yeah. right. Well, we he's love you, Ed. Drive. <laughs> yes. That's right. That's yes. And uh, eventually it evolved into, hey, do you want to come do this? You want to come help us out at this festival? OC Music Festival. That's mm-hmm. how that... And so, yeah, sure. And that was my first away gig, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I think Craig started to slip me a few bucks here and there from then on out. 
through persistence and just kind of being there, became part of the road crew, which was one of the coolest things I've ever done. Absolutely. Nice. I remember you racing around. I'm like, wow, that guy is just on it. <laughs> I, mean, I, felt, I remember feeling that way. And really, short hair, sure. I think. Still, Shorter, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay out of my eyes. <laughs> Yeah, that you had was, to work. That first, what'd you say? I said you had to work. You uh, couldn't, yeah. you know, you, you're going to do the job. You had to do the job. That's right. I remember that era of Cubensis was really magical, too, with Steve Harris right. and the CC singing right. and just a lot of great memories for me, too. I just moving. It was that. a moving era. It really yeah. was. Very cool. I mean, they're amazing now, too. Sure. But it's different. You know, it's how, I guess that's the evolution of music, right? Things mm-hmm. evolve. I think we're ready for music. That's you, always where Desi does goes. Sure. I just want to hear some music. Play, Matt? I'm ready. Matt's still here. <laughs> so awesome. Robin, I'm sorry. I'll take Sidekick. <laughs> Sidekick, yes. Yeah. Uh, let's play a tune. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, we're really excited to bring to you, and we just talked about it, that Alex has a new solo album, and this is going to be a song from the solo album that just came out this past May, was it right? Yeah. And this one is called right. Your Kingdom Comes. Yeah, right. And, uh... Got Matt here on, on guitar with me. And we're gonna we're gonna make this happen. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Splendor and your California king bed. There'll be no need to explain how good it's been for you. Your kingdom comes with a view, and every bar you'll go to will serve your favorite beer. You'll always pick the winner in each election year. You're the paragon of perfect, that much we always knew. Your kingdom comes with a view And I can hardly wait for the fall When this story's through Tear your picture down from the wall Your kingdom comes with a view Your face is in the papers And on time Your good deeds overflowing, your reputation is too clean. Well, give us all a minute to find dirty laundry, too. Your kingdom comes with a view. seldom fair Well the scales in your favor I'd say you've had your share Well the people like their heroes and they vilify a few Your kingdom comes with a view And my oh my what they say about you now
Yes. Oh, <laughs> You can always tell a great song when it can be played on the acoustic guitar. It just holds <laughs> yes. up perfectly because the album version just is, is rocking, dude. Really so good. But that, dude. That was nice. Those harmonies. Are you <laughs> kidding you. me? Those are high, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like kind of humming along. I'm like, I think I'm going to take the lower part. And like, yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Yes. <laughs> I, I, was, I was tempted because now I know the words because it's, 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 right. uh, it's catchy. It's in infectious. That yeah. So it's good. For yeah. sure. That one grabbed us the first time we heard it, for sure. Oh, that's, yeah. that's good. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad I put it first. Yeah, <laughs> it's, the, it's the first one of the album, right? So. Right. Awesome, awesome. Let's go back on story. We got, sure. the, we got the childhood. We got the college ages, uh, age where you learn classical music. That's uh, really an interesting path, right? You, ha- right? you have to have a right. parent, I think, that is really supportive, I guess, for any musical kind of career, creative arts, because it's like, how are you going to make a living doing this, son? So it says a lot about your dad. I, I've met your dad, and he's just very, very cool. And I know he's a big influence on you. And your discipline or your, I guess, persistency with Cubensis got you in the scene of this yes. thing called The Grateful Dead and this whole vibe, which led to your next chapter. Can you let us know how you got involved on a bigger level with maybe Midnight North? Right. Some period between roadieing and then. It happened, Steve Harris was out for a bit sick, and Nate LaPointe was touring. So they needed another singer, and Craig wanted another guitar player. And I had sat in with them at Thanksgiving for the, okay. the benefit they do. And then also Nate had me up for my birthday. So Craig was ready to give it a go. So he called me, and I, I, I think I might still have the voicemail, but he, you know, he, he, he says, okay, get ready. You know? <laughs> so we put it together where I learned enough material to get us through three shows. And it was fun. It was really fun. I would shudder to, to think about going back and watching, or listening rather, to recordings of it, because at this point I feel like I'm, I'm so much uh, more confident in all of it. It apparently went well enough that Craig asked me back the next time when Nate was out of town. And that time there was a band opening for us that weekend. We had two shows, one at the Sales and one at the Malibu Inn. And the band opening was from San Francisco, this new band called Graham Lesh and Friends. We were kind of interested in what they were going to sound like. They didn't have a record out yet, and their name wasn't Midnight North yet. They were interesting. A couple good singers, and they were four-piece. Graham could play, Elliot could play and sing, the bass player could play, and, and the drummer at the time could play. And so we just struck up a conversation, and Graham kind of hinted, oh, you should come jam at Terrapin sometime. And I, I think I literally said, well, be careful saying that because I'll hold you to it. <laughs> and, uh, and so eventually I did. Yeah. And I did that a few times. And then eventually I had kind of an informal thing. I did like a, an acoustic sit-in with them at Terrapin with what became Midnight North. And they put out their record by then. And I learned the harmonies on the drive up. And I realized that they had three parts on their record, but only two singers in the band. And so I learned as many of the harmonies as I could. We did a bunch of the songs. Halfway through the set, Phil walked in fresh off of his gig from the Greek theater. It was the strangest thing. You know, what does Phil Lesh do after a gig? Wow. Yeah, he goes, goes to his own restaurant, watches his son play a gig. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't expecting to see him, you know, and all of a sudden, it's, oh, crap, you know. And then Graham calls friend of the devil. It's like, great, you know. So it was really fun, though, to sing with two other good singers and playing leads and, and learning. I did another audition-y kind of thing with them, and then they brought me on to start playing with them as the third guitar player and harmony singer. Wow. So that's how I started with them, anyway. Wow. Wow. That's, that's how awesome. it works, right? Right. And now, <laughs> right now place, right time. And, and now you're jamming with yeah. Phil Lesh, you know, on his back porch, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a big lesson that maybe was learned from that time with Midnight North from the legends? The most fascinating thing, I wish there was some, you know, perfect thing any one of them said but I think the most fascinating thing I learned in playing with Phil and then playing with Bob and uh, we played one show with Peter Rowan uh, you know a couple other things over the years I think the most interesting thing I could I would say is all of them just sort of do what they do it's sort of like either what you're going to do will work or it, it won't but there's no reason to try to completely adapt what you're doing any more than is is within your thing then where's the individuality in that? And every time I played with Phil, whether he was band leading or accompanying a member of the ensemble, if you will, every time he did what he did. And if it came together brilliantly, he grinned. And if it, came, and if it just totally fell flat, he grinned anyway. Because it was just sort of like, well, that was wild. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's probably my number one takeaway from playing with those guys. Bob in particular. There's, like no, there's no stopping Bob. Mm-hmm. He does exactly what he does, no matter what. It's not like a rude thing. It's not like a, I don't care what you're doing thing. It's more like, well, this is what I've learned, especially after 50 plus years. This is what I've, what I've created with my own style. Uh, that was sort of typified in the conversation I had. I was with Gub, the bass player from the band Twiddle, and Phil. We were backstage at a venue back east. I asked Phil if he ever 
when he was learning bass, listened to another bass player and, and thought about trying to cop what they did for a particular tune. And he got really flustered by the question. He said, I don't know how to answer that because I don't know that it ever occurred to me to do so. And I just thought that was the most wild thing. Wow. Because I've always been like, well, what is so-and-so doing on this part? What's, you know, especially like when I was in jazz. Well, what does Train do here? What does Miles do here? Yeah. You know, what is, is Charlie Parker at his 100th birthday, I think, today. Oh, you know, nice. what, is, what is, you know, what did Bird do here? Yeah. You know, and like you're always looking at what someone else did. And to hear someone who you've tried to listen to to see what they did right. say they literally never, never occurred to them to specifically wow. grab something from someone else and try to imitate it was totally cool and wild. Yeah. <laughs> and why he's one of a kind. Right. Yes. Probably. Truly unique. Truly unique. Yeah. 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 Wow. Most definitely. Well, Midnight North is awesome. And that whole story about how you, you met them and just were persistent. Yeah. Cool. Just, it's just the way the evolution of our world is and the way that you've handled it is just uh, amazing. So you get to tour with Midnight North. You probably had a lot of great tour stories, stories yeah. and whatnot. <laughs> um, so maybe I won't ask you that. I'll, I'll want to move past the Midnight North thing because, you know, we have the evolution of bands. We go from one project to another and we we find our way and continue to be ourselves individually when did you first get inspired to write your own and put together your own album did that start so young long. or was yeah. that just like recent what was the spark that you said i'm i'm gonna put my own album out and do it well i i'd done a bunch of stuff at like an adolescent kind of level when i was in high school I liked recording from an early age. It might, you know, it was, I was, it made sense to me to record stuff and it was cool to do it. Yeah. And so when I was in high school, that band made a little, a few recordings here and there. One of the later shows we played was actually a, a multi-track a studio and just a live thing, you know. Mm -hmm. So I got experimented mixing that and that was really neat. But then I was writing and I'd written a few things with that band, but I was still writing. And so the next band I was in was kind of my college band and college era band. And that's actually when Matt and I met. He had a really good band that was still in high school, and we started doing shows together. I think at the time, all but one or two of the songs, besides the covers, were, were songs I had written. And so we recorded an album just in my, in my living room. Yeah. Right. Uh, but still, like trying to do it like a real record, you know, mm -hmm. just get, all, get the basics and, and, and get the stuff. I even at one point with Matt's band tried to do the same thing with them, tried to you know, transfer my knowledge of how the equipment worked and get them all in a basement, you know, and say, okay, go. It's hard. It's really hard. And, and we were not, none of us were particularly good at it at the time. But I think that set us all Except off. Except for Matt. You were yes. awesome. Yeah. You were perfect. <laughs> well, Matt, <laughs> and, and Matt now is, is all, I call Matt when I have questions about production techniques. Um, he does a lot. He, Matt's a really, a really gifted writer and a great composer and does a lot of, of electronic uh, EDM music. And, and I guess it's redundant EDM and a lot of pop influence stuff. Every time he puts something out, I go, man, how do you do that? So what's that? Well, how did you get that sound? <laughs> and I think that we're sort of seekers that way. Bringing that into the Midnight North thing, we made records, but it was all about getting stuff out so we would have a product quickly. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, we never really had an opportunity with that band where we could just sit there and really, jam. you know, well, we would jam on stage, but in the studio just be like, how could we get interesting sounds? But that wasn't really our approach. It was more about, let's get the songs down. Let's get the songs down. So I had songs that I had written that weren't recorded yet in between that high school period and then I had made one attempt at doing it that I just realized I needed to be way more organized and so I waited a whole year basically until the tour schedule calmed down and then got into the studio to do that and that's what became this record so the 10 songs on there were written over you know a, a multi or many year period right. um, okay. but whenever I get into the studio I start writing because it starts to make sense you get sick of listening to the same mix down over and over and so I started listening to books on tape I started listening to uh, going through all of Steinbeck and so driving to and from the studio driving to my day gig driving to LA stuff like that listening to Steinbeck and like all of a sudden I go man there's a whole language so it's like how can I get that going get that written into things and you, you realize what works and what doesn't in the studio so that all just kind of keeps me writing and writing and writing so now it's been a whole thing since then. <laughs> <laughs> so quite a process sure. over the years there for sure. Yeah. Um, how many instruments, because you're a multi-instrumentalist, how many instruments did you actually do for your solo album? Anyone have a copy of it? It's listed <laughs> on the back. <laughs> uh, too many. Okay. Uh, some of it was out of necessity and some of it was out of desire. Okay. Um, I did all the guitars but one. Matt plays the one guitar. That's not me. And it's a song we co-wrote. And then... I did half-ish of the bass work. I did none of the drum work. That's uh, Sean Nelson. He's an incredible drummer. I did all but one of the keyboard things. I did some of the brass. My dad did some of the oh, brass. Wow. My friend Katie Zablinski did some of the brass. 
Um, Dave Zerbell did the pedal steel. So I don't know. It's 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 a lot of instruments because it also yeah. there's one song on there where it's you know lists like you know orchestral bells and it's a four bar period of me going like <laughs> clang you know on a on a big orchestral chime. Right. You know? mm-hmm. Got to put in the liner notes. Right. Yes. Sure. <laughs> yes. Awesome. They nice. need some credit. You mentioned a little bit about you've been accumulating songs over time, which is, I think, a natural thing. What inspires you to write? When do you get inspired to write songs? How does the process work for you? Usually between 11 p.m. and 3 a.m. That's okay. <laughs> Quiet time, right? Right. It, it's yeah. almost like the whole world has to go to bed before I can hear what's, you know, and make sense of what I'm hearing in my mm-hmm. head, you know? Uh, I like, my favorite songs are things that you can relate to. Which is a horribly vague and cop-out answer, but um, <laughs> but it works. Well, it's it's my feeling is that lyrics have to be vague enough that anybody can put themselves in the shoes of of the singer, but specific enough that you know what they're about. And so for me, it might be an experience I've had, or an experience I've seen someone else have, or not a dream, but like a an extended, focused daydream kind of a thought. I'm not one that does well making up stories. I couldn't write a, a fairy tale novel or a collection of fairy tales or anything like that ever. I'm just not, I, don't, I don't think of things that way that are, have any amount of continuity. Um, <laughs> but seeing vignettes in my life, other people's lives, you know, mm-hmm. people I don't know, whether I realize it at the time or not, it, that can often grab me. And then taking that with whatever I'm reading or whatever is going on in the world or, you know something someone might say specifically and those things swim around until they have some kind of an idea and so that tends to be what i write about so your kingdom comes with a view Mm -hmm. can you give us a little bit about where just the lyrical part of that came from right i was really inspired by in a not so thrilled way the media and fan perspectives on barry bonds um and that was sort of the core idea i'm a baseball fan i'm a giants fan so it was very exciting. I think if, you, if anyone was in baseball, uh, it was very exciting to watch someone hit hundreds and hundreds of home runs and hit, you know, hit so many in one season. Then the, the excitement wore off, and then everyone wanted to know what he did wrong. How did he cheat? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How did he cheat? No one can do that. So since no one can do that, how did he cheat? Because that's not real. Right. And that was the weirdest thing to me. Because I don't have that. I didn't anyway when I was younger. I think as I've gotten older, I've gotten a, a much more pronounced critical and cynical skepticism mm-hmm. of the world to a detriment. But when I was younger, it didn't make any sense to me that you would watch someone achieve like the coolest thing anyone's done in your lifetime and immediately want to invalidate it. Yeah. Like, I think that's a desire for us to find. We love, and as I say, we, people love their heroes and they vilify them too. We love, we love heroes. We love to elevate people. We love symbols. But we also cannot stand the idea that anyone's better than us or has it better than us. And that's the idea that anybody that achieves anything that I've ever known, and that other examples came into view as I was writing the song, but anybody that's ever achieved anything, somebody's out there complaining about it and someone's out there talking about how they're a fraud. And maybe they are. You know, maybe they are you know, in some scenarios and maybe they aren't. But the main thing is that the instinct I think we have as a culture is to tear people down as soon as they succeed. And it's a weird, I don't know why, but we, but we do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Earlier you said that the perspective of Bob Weir and Peter Rowan and Phil Lash mm-hmm. you know, came from that place of you just got to do you. Mm-hmm. I mean, to summarize really simply, right, right? Sure. just, just <laughs> yeah. do you. And then almost just not give a rip right. about what other people are thinking because you know, ultimately they will. And uh, I, just, I just love that. Barry Bonds, wow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and there's lots of other examples. Yeah, oh, yeah. for sure. And it's not like it's and it's not like you can find an example of someone that's like totally flawless that everything they ever did was right because we're all human and that's yeah. the main thing. Everyone's going to have flaws. Yeah. And if you make a point of digging for them, you will find them. And of course, some people's skeletons are a little dicier than others, you know. Yeah, you don't sure. want yeah. you don't but you don't want to find those things out necessarily, but we do because that's what we do as a culture. We right. we want to know what's going on. I'm going to just follow up real quick with yeah, that. Go ahead. I I find <laughs> that uh, I, I'm just so, I'm fascinated by the subject. I love it a lot. But some artists, um, you know, when we're younger, we look at music mm-hmm. and we can really truly listen to the music for what it is without somebody telling us what we like. Sometimes we do. We have a friend that says, you got to listen to Zeppelin or whatever. But what we truly like from a young age, like you said, if we get to know the backstory of an artist, we may not like them as much. But our perspective of what their craft was was really high. 
So I just wanted to add that two cents because I think that I don't want to know the backstory of anyone. Jerry Garcia, it does not matter. I just want right. to be, appreciate them in that little place that I have the respect for the art, so to speak. I ask that question all the time. Is someone's contribution to the world through their art and through whatever their field is, does that somehow outweigh, if they've caused damage in their life, does that somehow, yeah. does it make up for it? I don't know if it makes up for it, but it certainly... You can have that. You can be someone that contributes a lot of good to the world, even if, or even if you are very, have a lot of darkness within you. I'm not saying, you know, go out and be dark, but it's a real thing where people can, they can contribute really wonderfully beautiful things, you know, to the world and at the same time just absolutely lay in ruin around themselves, you mm-hmm. know, so. Interesting. Yeah. Well, and I think that also leads to the title of your solo album, Subtle Exhibitionist. Right. Can you kind of elaborate on the title? And it is actually a song title, right. and it's the last song on the album. Was it the last song that you actually did for the album, or how Subtle Exhibitionist, how? Right. That... Uh, when I was living in L.A., everyone titled movies by project name if they didn't have a movie title yet. So you'd be driving, you know, at La Cienega, and there'd be a yellow sign with an arrow that said, Forefront. Oh. Who knows what movie that was? So I just titled the album, I will call it The Subtle Exhibitionist, done. And in the process of making the album wrote a song that that was the title and then I wrote it into the chorus it made sense and that was that and that's the last song and I thought there's nothing more subtle I can do other than to stick the title track as last last I have a vinyl copy of the vinyl somewhere it's like right over there but um you know it's a fairly simple portrait my buddy had you know joked that if we wanted to go full concept you could have just me on the back of the thing and it would just say say the title on the front and my picture's not even on it but that was the idea that like we hide in plain sight constantly I think especially with social media now we have this idea of wanting to craft something that looks totally composed and wonderful and perfect. Perfect. But it also comes off as very, you know, nonchalant. Like, oh yeah, I just happened to be out in this field and uh, the lighting happened to be perfect. It happened to be sunset. And I happened to be wearing some wonderful clothes, some, you know, cool stuff in my outfit. <laughs> yeah. and, and oh yeah, someone happened to be with me with a camera. Right. Yeah. You know, but it was just a casual thing, you know, and that's this social media thing where we want to portray this casual, portray this really crafted thing as if it were quite casual. And that's mm-hmm. the, the subtle exhibition of it ah. all. I mean, you can run with it from there, but that was that's one of the things that I conceptually kind of took me on that. For sure, so for great. sure. I guess. <laughs> I had to like it, let it sink in yeah, there for no, a minute because, cool. yeah, different ideas. I like the album. That. And, you know, it was interesting because I looked at the album and I said, wow, Alex, you know, because you, you no don't shirt. have your shirt on. And <laughs> right. it's like, yeah. and I'm thinking, what's going on? And I listen to the record. It's like, you know, you're just revealing yourself, you know, through your songs and whatnot. Right. And it's, uh, it's just very cool. We shot the cover and uh, I sent it to my girlfriend. And she showed it to her sister, and, and her sister goes, oh, my God, is he naked? And my girlfriend Lauren goes, he is wearing a necklace. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> so it's not completely sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It'd make more sense if you see the cover, so you'll have to, you'll have to pick up a copy yep, if absolutely. you're watching. But. Oh, for sure. How should our, the people listening right now that are intrigued by your intellect, and it's awesome, by the way, <laughs> your perspective is amazing. How can us as fans, what can we do the most for you? Well, the most is help me get a few copies out of my living room. And okay. <laughs> no, no, I worked really hard on having a nice physical package. And it's a full gatefold for both the CD and, more important, the vinyl. We worked really hard on keeping the audio quality up. And so if you go to my website, alexjordanjams.com, there's a means to order a copy of the vinyl or the CD. And my lovely other half will ship you one while I'm at work. Beautiful. <laughs> so, awesome. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great record. You have to pick it we up. We really appreciate sure. it. And it's it's all kinds of different genres that are speaking to us. It's not just one particular genre or style that you have on that album. I'm glad that works because that was yeah. sort of part of the, the exhibition, if you will. We put it together and I said to the engineer, I said, does it just sound like a bunch of random crap or is it cohesive enough? We had no way of knowing until people listened to it. So thanks for yeah, listening. Yeah, I'll yeah, second yeah. that one. Yes. <laughs> sure. I think we're ready for more music. Yeah. Um, Matt, you ready? Let's do it. Like, oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I've heard all these stories from Alex before. Uh, all good. More from the solo album. Yes, yeah. this one's going to be called I Know I'll Be Okay. Pockets are lined only with lint 
Well, my hair is uncombed and my beard's overgrown, but I know I'll be okay. Oh, I know I'll be okay. And my mother taught me all my manners. She also taught me how to curse. So when life's got you on your knees, do you swear I'll say please? Well, I know I'll be okay. Oh, I know I'll be okay. And my car barely made it to the station. Catch a train that almost left on time I left my ticket on my dash But the conductor never passed So I know great song of hope <laughs> thank you right i think that's so necessary right now and i really appreciate that i'm, I'm it's, it's sort of taken on for me at least every time we do it i sort of feel a little more um optimistic about things and that was my intention mm -hmm. with it so 
I'm glad it even works for me. <laughs> yeah, you go out on a risk, right, writing something like, I'm going to be okay, but it, it's really a great space to be in, to just kind of say, you know what, it's going to be okay. Right, it'll yeah. work out. Yeah, yeah, it's really, you know, very, very cool. We are here tonight to express our appreciation for the June Lake Jam Fest and what it represents. We've had some great experiences there. Do you have a memorable experience of the June Lake Jam Fest, maybe more than others? Because there's so many, I know this, but... What is it about the June Lake Jam Fest that does it for you, Alex? Gosh, every trip I've, I've made up here has been super memorable. Um, <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, you know, there was uh, one year, I think in 2017, I brought my B3. Mm-hmm. I donated it to be a backline for Melvin to use Sunday, but also there it lived on the stage. Yeah. And I got to sit in with you, with you guys, and so um, I sat in with Achilles' wheel. Tom Ryan got to use it for Cubensis. It's always awesome to hear Tom shred on a real Hammond. <laughs> It was a rad experience, not because of the Hammond, though. It was just the camaraderie of hanging with all the different people mm-hmm. over the course of the festival because I had gear there and, and you know, moving it on and off for people. And, and it was just awesome. The fan energy is really, was really good. The camaraderie between the musicians was really good. Mm-hmm. I think that was the year Cubensis took the stage and this crazy wind event happened. Mm-hmm. Like the cymbal stands are flying over and, and stuff like that. It was just fun. It could have been really uncomfortable and awful. And instead it was just sort of entertaining. Yeah. Um, and it was just another element to the whole thing. And then at the very end of the festival, Melvin's playing his last tune and we get this little rain shower comes over and this rainbow over Gull Lake in front of the mountain. It was the coolest thing. And normally, you know, it's raining on the gear and I, I would have been like, oh my God, you know, and instead it was just like, it's fine. Everything's fine. You know? And uh, they finished their set. We packed everything away and all the musicians went up to the, the little hangout spot and uh, we kept playing. We kept making music. It just kept going. The acoustics came out. The tequila came out. <laughs> you know, and it was just it was just awesome from the minute I got there. And I, I mean, the whole experience was crazy because here I am alone in my minivan driving over Sonora Pass with a B3 and a Leslie right behind my head. It was a lot of mountain pass. This journey to get there and then the whole time at the festival was just magical. So I just that whole year is one long memory of just amazing experiences with everything that was going on. So thank you, Janet. Now you sat in with Cubensis that year, right? On keys and guitar, I think. (laughs) And there's a version of uh, Cumberland Blues that I think you played along with, with the three of you playing guitar. Oh, right. That was Dude, it's uh, it's such a magical performance for me. Oh, cool. I don't know if I've ever listened to it. Yeah, yeah. No, really it is. The trade-off with licks and just your layering. You were like brothers. I still love those guys so much. I talked to Nate two or three times a week. I talked to Craig once a week. I love those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, it was like way up there in the list. And I think that's what makes June Lake Jam Fest so special. It's just the improv. Magical things happen and everybody just kind of goes with it. The camaraderie with all the artists and everybody coming together and just different jams that don't happen anywhere else except for at the June Lake Jam Fest. So really special that you got to be a part of that with such amazing artists and you're back here yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Couldn't keep me away. Right. Absolutely. I'm not sure what we are for time. Okay, it's eight o'clock. Uh, <laughs> we always have some. We fun have so much more. You know, fun really, it's really been too. a pleasure to speak with with you, and you know, have you next to me here. Thank you. You're more than a sidekick. It's, I'll it's, say it's, that it's now. Really yes. awesome. <laughs> but I, I, we do have one more, just little bit that sure. I have to do. I know. It's like, John, can you just stop? But I can't. <laughs> I want to know uh, from both of you, really quickly, if you have a favorite animal and why. Matt, maybe you could go first. You yeah, need man. to loosen up your pipes a little bit first. Oh, yeah. Um, I think my favorite animal would have to be like an eagle of some sort. Okay. Because I feel like they can just do whatever they want. They can just fly around. They can fly, first of all. That seems pretty cool. Yeah, that does seem And cool. then, uh, yeah, they just look cool, and they just feel very majestic. So that's my, uh, that's my animal of choice. Very cool. Awesome. The eagle. Yeah. Alex, you got one? My favorite animal is and always has been the chicken. Nice. <laughs> you know, that's, okay, a, what's that's, the story a, that's a very on that? first. Yes. <laughs> we haven't had that one yet. <laughs> Please elaborate. I find them uh, limitlessly Tasty. Enter- entertaining. No, no, no. No. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't eat chickens. Uh, no, I find them really entertaining. And they have, like, you look at them and they look like these little dinosaurs. They all have interesting personalities. This was solidified about a year plus ago. I was helping my girlfriend Lauren out on an animal rescue farm in New York. One of the processes of the morning is to let all the birds out of their barn, and the chickens are just ridiculous. They all walk around. They all have little different personalities. There was this one named Mussolini. Was that right? Yeah, Mussolini. And something happened to him, and he just did not grow much. You'd be like 
putting feed into a bowl and all of a sudden this like tap on your boot would happen. You look down, there's this chicken and he would recoil from kicking you and recoil and then come at you again. And it was just this adorable little thing. And Heath was being all tough. You know? <laughs> but each of them had this own little, uh, there's way too many. I don't think they all had names. I'm, they're all just fascinating to watch them go around the yard. And I just were like, what are they thinking? You know, they're roaming around and everything. And to the point that on Golden Land, the song on my record, there was this rooster where we were recording the vocals from a record named Lisbon. And Lisbon would not stop crowing. I was in a little trailer over by where the roosters and the goats and everything were. And he would not stop crowing. And so there was no napping in the middle of the day, nothing. <laughs> and you could hear it. We had the window open when we were recording. You could hear him. So I just went out there, and he was aggressive. He was really aggressive. You, you get like 20 feet from him, and he would like hop up on something, leer down at you. So I just inched over there as non-intimidating as possible with my phone recording to try to get the perfect crow. And we got it. And so we put it on the song Golden Land. So if you can find, that's the Easter egg. So if you find it, Lisbon the Rooster is immortalized on, uh, on Golden Land with a nice crow. Nice. <laughs> okay, can you tell me, is it like in the verse or the chorus? Or where it's is in it? the last verse, uh, so you'll find verse. it. Yeah. Okay. I probably, Cheater! I, I know. Now everyone knows. <laughs> yes. yes okay. Well, now we have to hear it. Yes. Lisbon, so right. go to Spotify tonight. Right, right, right now. exactly. Right. Awesome. Well, we do have a, a whole set. Thanks for having us. So stay tuned. Well, and the amazing sidekick. <laughs> Matt Descala. Matt Descala, he does have a name. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. And he's Thank an you. eagle. By the way, we asked the question, what your favorite animal is, because people will let down their guard and they'll just like an animal, but it's the reason behind it that sometimes reveals who we are. So right. all of those characters, because you want to fly, and over here, what was it? I mean, I chicken. Being, being loud. <laughs> There's a I want to be in a yard. <laughs> <laughs> Free and lots of feathers. Oh, awesome, yes. All, all right. right. Thanks, Thank everybody. You Thank, Thank you both. Thank you, everybody. What a fun experience we had talking with Alex Jordan and his sidekick. What is it, Matt? Robin. Ah, no, no, no. 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 Matt Descala. That's right. What a great sport. Thanks, Matt. And big thank you to Alex for sharing your talents with us. I think we ought to hear Golden Land, the song with the rooster, Lisbon. I would love to hear that. I know. We but just, we're not going to tell anybody. If you were listening to the interview, you know where Lisbon is going to come into the song, Cheater John. I want to give it away, though. Nope. Let him listen. All right. Featuring Lisbon the Rooster in this song. This is a great song from Alex. It's called... Golden Land from the solo album, Subtle Exhibitionist. My back is still And my legs are from sitting here in this great white van down a hundred miles and more to go gonna climb that grade gonna play that show well I'm rolling on back through the Adirondack making my way over the Siskiyou Pass Serves me wine. 
another great episode of the Jam Frequency Radio Show. Thank you to the amazing artists that joined us this week, and we look forward to where next episode's Jam Frequency will take us. See you next time for another episode of the Jam Frequency Radio Show. Where words and music kaleidoscope.